The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. One of the reasons investment banking is such a sought-after career is because it's one of the highest paying jobs right out of school. Even though some people won't admit it, I'm willing to bet that the majority of people who want to pursue investment banking as a career are doing it for the money. In fact, did you know that there's been a study done by a Stanford GSB professor named Paul Oyer who surveyed 2,600 Stanford MBAs and he found that people who start their careers in investment banking on average made one and a half to five and a half million dollars more during their careers and that's after discounting it back for the present value of that money, okay? So in this episode, I'm going to walk you through the step-by-step process of how I got to a seven-figure net worth before I turned 30 and it's going to take a while for me to tell the story, but I promise it's a good one and you'll want to stay all the way through until the end. And no, I didn't have to become a managing director in investment banking to make this happen in case you were wondering, okay? Now, as I was saying, a lot of people go into investment banking for the money and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, to be honest. And no, you shouldn't say that in your interviews, but this is not an interview. And to be completely honest, the money was the primary thing that attracted me to investment banking in the first place as well. I'm not ashamed to admit that. But let me tell you a story so that you can understand where I'm coming from. You see, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I come from an immigrant family, okay? My parents moved us from Taiwan to California when I was nine. They wanted us to get a better education, which they believed would give us a better future. And they were absolutely right about that. Now, the problem was my parents' English weren't very good, right? And they knew enough to, you know, get by in this country, but they were nowhere close to being fluent, right? And that was a big deal because my mom was a housewife, which means that my dad was the sole breadwinner for our family. Now, when we were in Taiwan, he started his career as a salesperson for IBM. Now that we were in a different country with different cultural norms and a different language he wasn't very good at, it made it really, really tough for him to do well with his sales career. So a few years after we came to the States, the dot-com bubble burst. And I think it was around the year 2000. Okay, So the country went into a recession with the Bay Area where we lived being the hardest hit right? because that's where all the tech companies were. Now, naturally, my dad was laid off. Uh, In fact, he ended up being unemployed for several years. Those were some of the toughest few years that my family has ever been through. Um, In fact, we were living in Cupertino at the time, which is where the Apple headquarters is located, if you're not familiar with it, okay? And we honestly had no business living there based on our financial status, but my parents insisted because Cupertino had a really, really good school district, and they believed that that was crucial for my sister and I to get into good colleges, right? And so I remember all throughout elementary, middle school, and high school, we never owned our own home. Uh, We could never afford to. We always rent it, even though it's a really dumb decision to pay rent for so many years from a personal finance standpoint, but um, we had no choice, right? And so I remember in high school, I would look at you know the clothes that my friends bought and they were wearing uh, or the cars that they drove and honestly be a little bit jealous or envious because mine just weren't as nice. Um, and so, hey, you know, I was an insecure high schooler back then and I uh, wanted to look cool in front of the girls at school, right? So, but I digress. That wasn't the worst part though about not having money. The worst part really was back at home because my parents were always stressed out, especially my dad, uh, who was very traditional, very old school. Um, Imagine being the man of the house, right? Feeling like it's your responsibility to provide for the family, but you lose your job 
and you can't find another one. And you keep applying, but you keep getting rejected, right? And you're too stubborn to move to a cheaper city because you want to keep your kids in the best schools. It's just a lot of pressure for one person to handle in that situation, right? So my dad, he was always in a bad mood, right? For as long as I can remember, he was always in a bad mood, um, even though it wasn't really his fault, but th that's just a fact, right? And he and my mom fought a lot. And so more often than not, um, these fights started because of something related to money, right? My sister and I were too young to really understand what they were going through at the time. And they also didn't really want us to know about it. So all we felt was that it sucked to be at home and around our parents, right? And that it wasn't a welcoming atmosphere where we felt safe. And so as a result, we've never been able to develop a very close relationship with our parents, my sister and I. Like It's almost like the harder my parents tried to make sacrifices to let us live beyond their means, the more it actually pushed us away from them, right? And honestly, even now, as I'm talking about it, that is seriously a very sad thing, right? And, and it might be one of my only regrets today, which is that I'm not closer with my parents. So I think that those few years ended up being a very formative experience for me because without even realizing it subconsciously, I started to really value money. I wanted to become wealthy because I told myself that when I grew up and had my own wife and kids, I didn't want them to go through the same things. I wanted to be able to live wherever I wanted. I wanted to be able to do so comfortably. Right? I wanted to send my kids to whatever schools I felt was best without having to worry about the cost or whether I can afford to live there. Right? I wanted my kids to be able to afford nice things so that they can have a bit more confidence socially, especially at such a vulnerable age, you know, going through their teenage years. Um, I didn't want to ever fight with my wife about money and I didn't want my kids to be scared of me, right? And so when I left home and got to college at UC Berkeley, I started looking into potential careers that could help me make a lot of money. And naturally that quickly led me to investment banking given it's basically the highest paying job you could get out of college. Nowadays, you might be able to put tech up there as well, but that wasn't nearly as popular back then. Plus, Making big money in tech comes with some caveats and um, that makes it a lot more hit or miss, which I'm going to address that later on in the story, okay? Regardless though, I'm the type of person that once I set a goal, I won't stop until I achieve it. So once I set my eyes on getting into investment banking, I spent basically all of my time in college pursuing this goal. So aside from doing my best to keep my grades up in school, I also joined one of the more selective business student organizations on campus. Um, I didn't even get in the first time. So I tried again the following semester and got in then because again, I wouldn't take no for an answer, right? I took on leadership positions once I got in and eventually worked my way up uh, to even becoming the president, right? And so uh, aside from that, I also took part uh, in you know part-time internships during the semester. Uh, I commuted from Berkeley to San Francisco. I took BART, which is kind of like the subway in the Bay Area. But I commuted from Berkeley to San Francisco two to three times a week uh, just to have something to put on my resume and give it a boost, right? So now despite doing all of this, I actually almost didn't get into investment banking because the fact is like back then, I didn't really know how to network effectively. And I sure as hell wasn't good at interviewing. Like these things just did not come naturally to me, okay? And so for my junior summer internship, I actually got rejected by all of the top tier bulge bracket banks. Um, but I managed, I did manage to get an offer from Bear Stearns in the end, which is probably considered like a lower end bulge bracket bank back then. Like they don't even exist anymore today, right? In fact, what happened was I ended up interning uh, in the summer of 2007 at Bear Stearns. But little did I know at that time, a few weeks into my internship, the two hedge funds at Bear Stearns would collapse and basically become, uh, that was the first domino to fall for the 2008 financial crisis. That triggered the entire thing, right? And the bank itself, didn't go under right away, okay? But it still affected the intern class. Like nobody in my group got an offer to return for full-time. And at the end of that summer, I was devastated because I found myself having to scramble to recruit again for a full-time offer. Now, one thing you have to understand if you're new to investment making recruiting is that recruiting for full-time offers in investment making is really, really hard to do. Um, probably nine out of 
10 full-time offers are given to returning summer interns. So if you want to get into a firm, a top-tier firm, without having intern for them over the summer, you're literally fighting for that last spot, right? Like maybe the last 5 to 10% of the openings that are available. And you're going to be up against a lot of competition, okay? Most of whom have also interned at other investment banks over the summer, right? And so what made it even harder for me was that one, I didn't get a return offer to my firm, which made it seem like I might have been a bad intern. And two, like I said, the market was just starting to see cracks at the time because it was the early innings of the financial crisis, right? And so firms are more conservative with their hiring, right? And so I literally went through full-time interviews with over 20 different banks, getting rejected by all of them before I eventually got the only spot left in Deutsche Bank's technology investment banking group that year, okay? At many points along the way, I thought about giving up. But that was like what pushed me to go on was the fact that I had spent all of my college years up to that point working towards this goal. And I felt like, you know, I had gotten the ball down to the goal line, you know, to use a football analogy. I was on like the one yard line or a two yard line. And it was really, really hard to drive the ball that far down. And there was no other alternative in my mind than to see it all the way through. Like I had to get into the end zone, right? And so failure was not an option for me. So I thought about why I had worked so hard this whole time, right? Like the past four years, my entire time in college, sorry, past three years at the time um, and all the money that was on the line, right? Because if I had gotten into investment banking, uh, my starting salary would be double what it would have been otherwise right off the bat, right? Like it could have been easily double, like 120K back in the days versus maybe 60, right? And so there was a lot at stake in my mind, okay? Anyway, as you know, I did ultimately sneak in at the very last minute just by a hair, okay? The Deutsche Bank Super Day had 12 candidates, including myself, fighting for that one spot. And in the end, it apparently was a very, very close call between me and another guy from UCLA. And I ultimately got the job over him because there was an associate that I networked with in that office that really liked me. And he really went to bat for me and I'm forever indebted to him. From there, the rest was history. I became the top bucket analyst that year at Deutsche. I got a $50,000 bonus, which is the highest we could get that year at the firm. And instead of buying anything nice, I took most of my bonus that year and paid off my entire student loans balance in one go, okay? This was huge for me because I had heard too many stories of people who ended up getting crushed by their student loans after graduating. Some people end up paying all the way to retirement age, and even then, they're not able to pay the entire thing off. So literally, they take their student loan balance with them to their graves, okay? That's how crazy it is. So I did not want to end up like that, so I did the responsible thing. And this also, by the way, paying off all my student loans, this gave me a clean foundation financially, right? Being debt-free meant that I could take all of my future savings and start investing and growing my wealth without the psychological burden and pressure of having this loan to worry about in the back of my mind. Now, after Deutsche Bank, I lateral to Morgan Stanley Tech, which was and still is one of the best groups on Wall Street. Uh, I'm really glad I did that, actually. It ended up being a great move for my career and gave me even better exit opportunities than I already had. Um, and then I, I took the typical route and exited to private equity for two years, ending up at a firm called GI Partners, okay, which is a middle market PE fund. Uh, I think they have about $16 billion of assets under management today. Okay, My reason, though, for going to private equity was pretty simple. Again, um, it's because I, I got paid a lot more in PE than I did in banking. Um, in fact, at GI, I made over $200,000 a year. Uh, and I got to work less as well. That was another really big thing. So higher pay, better hours. Most analysts in banking would say, hey, what's not to like? Right. And so it was like a dream come true in my mind at the time. Uh, then after two years in PE, though, I decided that it actually wasn't a job that I was truly passionate or excited about. So living out in the Bay Area at the time, I decided, hey, I'm going to pivot over to tech. I'm going to go work in Silicon Valley for my next stop. OK, there were a lot of really exciting 
tech startups um, in the area at the time. So uh, now this is a big inflection point for me financially and for my career. Okay. Because while I made good money in finance, especially for my age, I mean, honestly, it wasn't life-changing money. Like this might sound kind of crazy to a lot of you that are watching this, but even though I was making over $200,000 a year, which I'll admit back in college, if you told me I would make over $200,000 a year, I would tell you that that's more than I could ever need, right? But honestly, once you get there, you start to realize um, it's really not that much, especially, I mean, I, I honestly felt like I was maybe middle class or just slightly above middle class because I was living in a city like San Francisco, right? The standard of living there is so expensive. Like if you never lived in San Francisco or New York before, it's probably hard for you to relate, but you can't really survive on what would be considered a normal salary anywhere else in the country, okay? Like heck, an average home in San Francisco costs over $1 million today. Okay, I'm talking average, like run of the mill, like not some super nice mansion, but a mediocre, medium sized house, um, not even that new. It's going to cost you over a million dollars. So while you might think I was crazy to leave Wall Street when my goal was to make as much money as possible, I didn't really see it that way. Um, in fact, I actually took a huge pay cut to go from GI Partners to my next stop, which was Square. Even when I identified Square as one of the companies I was really excited about, I still wouldn't have gotten the job, by the way, without having IBMP experience first. Because you see, usually the best tech startups, they're very sought after by potential employees, right? By candidates, by people who are applying for jobs. And they pretty much have a bunch of people lined up out the door who would love to work for them, right? Just like the top investment banks. And so these top tech firms, they only want to hire the best of the best as well. Just like the top investment banks, right? The better a job is, the harder it is to get it, right? And so the finance and strategy team that I joined at Square, for example, that entire team, was made up of people who had investment banking and or private equity experience prior to coming to Square. It wasn't your typical FP&A team that you found at larger companies. This team at Square, they only hired people with that Wall Street pedigree, right? And if you didn't have that, you basically had no shot. And my base salary dropped down to $90,000 at Square, which is more than a 50% haircut from what I was making in PE, meaning I was making less than half of what I made at GI in terms of cash compensation. But the beauty of working at tech companies, especially startups, is that even though they can't pay you as much in cash as investment banks and private equity firms, they do give you equity in their company to make up for it. Since they had to cut my salary by so much, they ended up making up for that by giving me more equity, right? And so as you can see, I got a $90,000 base salary to start. And then just for being there for one and a half years, I was there for 18 months, I was given 18,750 shares in Square stock options, okay? Now, to be clear, at the time, Square was only worth about $3 billion in valuation as a private company. Uh, I said only, but yeah, like it was a pretty, it was about 600 employees. It was like, you know, not a startup startup anymore, but more like a mid-stage startup, right? I joined around their Series C uh, fundraise. But as of the time of this recording, they've more than 30X'd their valuation, okay? And their shares today are worth over $200 a share. Right, so you can do the math yourself. The shares that I received, again, 18,750 shares, they're worth close to $3.9 million based on today's share price, okay? And again, that was just for one and a half years of work. I actually left over 60% of the stock that was granted to me on the table because I would have had to stay there for a full four years to get all of it, but I decided to leave early to go to another tech startup called GitHub because it was an opportunity that was too good to pass up. The story at GitHub is that this was another example of a job that I couldn't have gotten without my Wall Street pedigree. It was actually a director level role that reported directly into the CFO at the time. And I would basically, uh, the mandate was to build out the entire strategic finance team for them from scratch. Like they didn't have that team at the time. I actually ended up beating out three to four other finalists 
who each had between 10 to 15 years of experience working already. And at the time, I had only been working for six and a half years. That's how long I've been out of college. And so this is pretty surprising even to myself, but it's because employers really value that Wall Street work experience. They know that spending five years on Wall Street is like spending 10 to 15 years in a normal nine to five job. The amount of responsibilities you get and the type of stuff you learn is just unparalleled by any other finance job. And so because this was such a big promotion for me, going from being an individual contributor at Square to being a people manager at GitHub, I got a pretty generous pay bump on my equity compensation package there as well. So what exactly happened to GitHub? Well, I joined the company uh, when it was only worth about $750 million as a private company. Okay, that was their Series A valuation. I knew based on my training on Wall Street and banking and MPE that they were severely undervalued and that there was tremendous upside. Right? I only ended up staying at GitHub for about 15 months in the end. But a couple of years after I left, GitHub was acquired by Microsoft for $7.5 billion, which is 10x the valuation from when I joined the company. So again, from that deal, my GitHub equity was converted into Microsoft stock. I got over 10,000 shares of Microsoft stock, which was deposited into my brokerage account. Okay, Now today, Microsoft share price is around $250 a share, Okay, meaning those shares are worth about $2.5 million, which is again, pretty insane considering I didn't even work there for that long. Again, it was 15 months. Right, and that did not include my base salary, which uh, at GitHub I made like one hundred thirty-five to one hundred forty thousand dollars in base salary. Right, so that was also a pretty big bump, a uh, pretty big bump from Square. So that's my rags to riches story, I guess, uh, or maybe it's semi rags to riches because I know there are definitely a lot of people who had it way tougher than me uh, growing up, and I'm not trying to you know discount that. Um, and there are also a lot of people out there who are way wealthier than I am. Like I'm not, I'm not saying I'm like you know super rich or whatever, but regardless, I think I've accomplished what I set out to accomplish. Right, when I first decided to go into banking, which is that financial security, that financial freedom that I always wanted as a kid. right? And since I graduated, I've never really had to budget for any of my expenses. I've never had to worry about money. You know, I can pretty much live wherever I want. I can send my kids now uh, to school wherever I want. I can take my wife out to nice restaurants or to vacations um, whenever we want, uh, at least once this pandemic is over. Um, and my wife and I, we never fight about money like my parents did. It just, it, it never happens because money is not one of those things that stresses us out today. It just isn't anymore. And so it's honestly a night and day difference today versus how I grew up, right? And so that's why I'm so passionate about what I do now, which is helping other students break into investment banking because I still remember how hard it was for me to break in and how I almost didn't make it in, even though I did everything I was supposed to do, right? Um, If I didn't have a little bit of extra help in the end, I wouldn't be where I am today, right? And so as you know by now, Getting into investment banking completely changed the trajectory of my career, uh, completely changed my life and enabled me to have the type of lifestyle that I've always wanted, right? And so if you're currently where I was many years ago, wanting to break into investment banking because you believe it can help you get to the financial level that you want to be at someday, and you want to both you know, get yourself as well as your loved ones, the type of lifestyle that you dreamed of, uh, and you don't ever want money to be the thing that holds you back, then hey, feel free to reach out to me, uh, me and my team. And uh, we would love to help you in any way that we can. All right. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there? Head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST. So it's really wall, stmastermind.com slash apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.